Amen. Well, it is good to be in the house of God today. <clears throat> Welcome all of you, those also joining us online. We thank you for being with us today. And we are going to continue in a series we started last week called Men of the Kingdom. And uh, what I want to title this today is Men of the Kingdom Greatness. I believe that every man wants to be great. You want to be great. We were created by God to be great. I also believe the country we live in, the United States of America, was created to be great. I believe God had a hand in it. And uh, America is our home. I used an analogy last week of a football team, how there are always three teams on the field. The home team, the visiting team, and the referees. And we are, as men, to be the referees. Men of the kingdom are not to take sides except his side. And at every football game that is at home, that home team will say, this is our house, right? And we cannot let the enemy team come in and kick us around in our house. Amen? And they will tell one another as they get into a huddle things like, Dominate, overcome, press on, press through. And they do this because they know their house is being invaded and they don't want to lose at home. Remember, one of the worst feelings in high school football was to have the home team get defeated by the rival team at their own homecoming. Right, I remember that it was it was it was not only uh, sad, it was embarrassing. Well, God gave Adam a house, so to speak. He gave him a garden. Look at chapter two of the book of Genesis in verse fifteen. There we read, then the Lord God took the man. And put him into the Garden of Eden. Now I want you to notice he has him do two things. Everybody say two things. Cultivate it and keep it. Cultivate it means make it flourish. Keep it means to guard it. Everybody say guard it. Now here's the question. Adam is the only one in the garden at this time as a human. There is no woman yet. Eve has not been created yet. So the question is, who does Adam have to guard his house from if it's only him? Well, because it's not quite only him. Because Satan has been kicked out of heaven. And he has now access to the second heaven and the earth. And according to the book of Job, he would present himself to God. But in that account, he had access to the earth. Now, you can read all about this. Uh, Satan getting cast out of heaven. You, you can write these verses down if you want. Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 15. And Ezekiel 28, verses 16 through 17. Those two prophets, Isaiah and Ezekiel, talk about that event. Let me give them to you again. Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. And Ezekiel 28, 
16 through 17. It talks about how when pride came up in Lucifer, Satan's heart, he was cast down. Jesus even said, I beheld him falling from heaven like lightning. So what some people don't understand is why did God create man in the first place? Why man? God created a man. Look at Hebrews 2.7. It says that God made him for a little while lower than the angels. Say lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor and have appointed him over the works of your hands. Now grab a hold of this verse. In this verse we see he's made a little lower than the angels, yet he has he desires to crown him with glory. He wants to give man glory. He wants to give you honor. He wants to make you great. And appoint you over his works. Now, man, in respect to his physical makeup, we are constitutionally inferior to angels. Every time you see a man meet an angel in the Bible, he falls flat on his face and he's afraid and he's trembling. We can't fly like angels. We don't have the physical strength of angels. I read about one angel in the Bible who took out 185,000 men of the enemies of Israel. One angel. How many take you just a, a, a part-time angel? You know, I'll just take a part-time angel. If one angel can take out 185,000 of the enemy, I only need a guy, you know, part-time. But God has assigned us angels. They watch over us. We don't possess the intellect of angels. Yet the Bible says angels long to look upon Salvation. They're interested in how that all operates. We were created inferior to angels in order that God could demonstrate what He could do, listen to this, with less. When less is committed to Him, then He could do with more like Lucifer, when more was in rebellion against him. Let me say it again. Man was created inferior to the angels in order that God could demonstrate what he could do with less when less is committed to him than he could do with more when more is in rebellion against him. So he created a lesser creature, a man, so he could show an angel what God can do through less. So often people think that God and the devil are on equal ground trying to duke this thing out, whether good will win or evil will win. I mean, I got news for you today. I want to just tell you, if there is a battle between God and the devil, it wouldn't last long. I mean, seriously, if God speaks entire universes and they come into being, and God spoke those angels into being, then he could speak and make the devil disappear. That's like saying that there is going to be a fight between David Drew and Evander Holyfield. Church, if there was a fight even now between David Drew and Evander Holyfield, it's not going to last long, okay? There's no competition. So God creates a lesser creature, man, in order to demonstrate his greater glory, but in order for the man to demonstrate that glory or that greatness, he would have to operate under kingdom rule. 
And so we see in Genesis 2, God created Adam, and when he created Adam, he instructed Adam, and when he instructed Adam, this is what he says. Look at this in chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. And notice this, I brought this out last week. Let's go back to verse 15. See how it starts. Everybody say this, the Lord God. Then the Lord God. Adonai, Elohim, Adonai. Verse 16, and the Lord God, say it again, commanded the man saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely. Now in chapter 1, as I told you last week, it just simply says God, power God. Called things into being. Let there be, there was. Light be, there was. God created. But here, the Lord God is talking to Adam. Now notice verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may freely eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat it you shall surely die. Now, Guys, let me just explain something to you. Eve is not around yet. Eve didn't hear this. Adam did. Now keep that in thought. We know what happens when Eve is created. And that's another message that we'll look about later and. But she's placed in the garden. Now skip up to chapter 3 and look at verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field, which, here it is again, the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. The serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field. He's slick. In fact, you could call him slick. He's smooth. He's, he's slippery. How many of you know that? Because he's more crafty. He's more subtle, more cunning than anything else living. And church, I want to just tell you this. You alone against the devil will always lose. Always. You and you alone. If you don't have God, you will lose. He will deceive you. He will even make you think you're doing right. And then as you go to do it, slip the knife into your back. That's what he did to Eve. He is ancient. He has taken many a man and woman down. He knows his trade. He is sneaky. He is subtle. He is sly. He is foxy. He is snake-like. He can lie and make you think it's the truth. It's happening every single day today. He does it with Eve. Now, the man was given a calling by God. What? Cultivate that garden. Guard that garden. So he's given him the, the job of provision and protection. And men, let me tell you today, we still have that job. Provide for our family, protect our family. Clear back in the garden, that's what Adam was told to do. Provide and protect. Cultivate and keep. That is our job as a man. I told you this last week, God did not give Adam a wife until Adam had a job. You have no reason to get married, men, guys, if you don't have a way to provide for that woman. Period. Just meeting done. I mean, if you want to marry that young girl, you come to me for counseling to marry, and you don't have a job, the meeting's over. I'll just say I can't continue forward. Come back to me when you got a job. 
Because you got to take care of it, because we're going to talk about finances. How are you going to finance this thing? Well, I don't know. We'll just stay with mom and dad. Nah. No, that's not going to work. How many know we need to hear this in the United States of America? Adam was supposed to be on guard against the devil from getting into his house. And I want to say that today, it's also our job as men. Don't let the devil in. When the devil shows up, here's what he does, church. He skips Adam. Walks right past the front door and goes directly to Eve, the back door. He skips the man, goes right to the woman, and it is the great role reversal. We're going to skip the man. We're going to go to the woman. And we're going to let her make the decision. Let her lead. I told you last week a statistic, 70% of all prisoners grew up without a dad. 80% of all rapists grew up fatherless. Now Adam is sitting here or standing here. I want to bring something to your attention that often we miss as we read Scripture. Sometimes we think, Adam, where was Adam when Eve is getting tempted? Look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that it was desirable to make one wise, spiritual, physical, you see it? Good for food, physical. It was a delight for the eyes. You see it? And that the tree was desirable to make one wise. She took from its fruit and ate. Now watch this. And... She gave also to her husband with her. And he ate. Now, I was studying that this week, and let me share with you what traditional Jewish interpretation of the Hebrew interprets this. Jewish, traditional Jewish interpretation takes that entire phrase to mean that Adam was with Eve the whole time she was being tempted and that he heard the whole conversation. Many other translations, if you look at other translations, say she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. So listen, if that be the case, if Adam was with her when she was tempted, we are dealing with the silence of man. The silence of Adam who should have stepped up and stopped this nonsense. If that is the case, and the traditional Jewish translation is correct, Now, I want to say this. Even if it isn't, when Eve came to Adam and said, we need to eat of this fruit, you see, she even misquoted to Lucifer what God had said. He said, has God said not to eat from this tree? She said, he said not to eat of it or touch it. Well, God didn't say that. But you see, she's getting this secondhand knowledge. See, that's the problem a lot of times is when man puts his own twist on what God says, it comes out different to the next person that by the time, have you ever done that? Did you ever do that little example in school where somebody tells you something in your ear and it started, maybe you had 20 kids in your, your class and it started, that's about all the big as my classes were. I was, grew up in little, little towns and, and they would tell one little kid this little message and then you'd whisper it to the next guy. Then you'd whisper it to the next. And by the time it got around to the teacher, they would say, okay, now tell us what number one said. And it was totally different than what number one said. That's not what I said. 
That's what America looks like today spiritually. That's not what God said. I read a book recently where the analogy was used where extreme terrorists wanted to come to America to take out all the Christians, but when they reached the shore trying to find Christians that would stand up for the truth, they would go to churches, and these churches were accepting sins that those Islamic extremist terrorists would not even do themselves. And they were like, well, these guys aren't Christians. Maybe we should go and and go amongst the the pastoral ministry uh, meetings. And in there they found pastors that said, oh, no, this is okay. You can marry a man and a man and a woman and a woman. They're like, you're not a Christian. A Christian believes in the marriage of a man and a woman. Come on, folks. And see, what's happened in America today is we don't even want to talk about those things. We don't even want to bring up those subjects because we will be shut down or called this or that or the other thing. But I want to assure you today, if Jesus is walking on the streets of America today, he's still going to be saying the things that he said was sin back then are sin today. No, he did not condemn the woman for adultery, but he said, go and Sin no more. He called what she did a sin. But today, if you call something a sin, all of a sudden you're a hater. No, really what you are is you're a lover. You love them. You desire that their soul is going to be saved, so you stand up for the truth, and God's looking for a few good men. Now, there's something here I want you to notice about the devil Go back to chapter 3 and verse 1. Adam doesn't say a word, but his job is to guard his house. His job is to guard the garden. And there's something here that I want you to notice that's missing. When the devil starts to talk to Eve in verse 1 of chapter 3, notice this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. Self-revealing Lord. Relationship God. And he said to the woman, this is what the devil says, indeed has God said. Power God. Not relating God. Let's detach God. Let's remove God from being Lord and just let God be God. Has that one said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Look at verse 3. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden. Now Eve isn't saying, Lord God. Eve is saying, God. Power God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. Verse 5. After the serpent said, you will surely not die. In verse 4 he says, for power God, God knows That in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like power God, knowing good and evil. Are you with me? You see this? So I want to draw your attention today what the devil did then and what the devil does now. He kept God and dropped Lord. Remember chapter 2 that we read last week where God is referred to as Lord God? We read it a couple times. Personal God, not just power God. The devil said, keep your religion, drop your Lord. See, we can talk about God all day long as long as you're not listening to him, as long as you're not letting him call the shots in your life and letting him tell you what to do. Come on, church. Do you see this? God created Adam for greatness. He gave him a garden. He gave him a destiny. He gave him a helper. But when he allowed the devil to come in and rip out Lord, the devil made sure all hell broke loose. 
And I want to tell you the reason why all hell is breaking loose today is we've got men who go to church, who belong to God's kingdom, who are not operating under the Lord God, who calls them under His authority. You see, He's called us to be great, but that greatness only comes if we are under His Lordship. Now, we're going to look in the future here uh, of these, these, these messages. He's called us to be bold. We're going to look at how God's called us as a man to be like a lion. Retreating from no one. And you know what? It doesn't matter the size of the lion. He can be five foot six or six foot five. Man lion. Doesn't matter his size. It matters the command of his roar. And it matters what's behind him. You see, if you're truly a lion of God, did you know a lion can roar and it can be heard for five miles? And when he's roaring, he's saying, You're not going to come into my house. Take my house. You're not going to take my lady. You're not going to take my, my cubs. You're not going to do that. You're not going to come into my territory. And if you do, you better be prepared for a battle because I am going to come out and guard what I'm providing for. And I want to tell you the reason why God wants us to be great is because He wants to show His glory through us. We, like Adam, have been created for greatness, not mediocrity. Not just to be a male. You were created to be a great man. And today in America, manhood is under attack. You know, guys, while women think about cuddling and, and watching a chick flick, men are thinking about conquering. Amen? I mean, they want, we want a war movie. Give us a shoot 'em up. I mean, you know, we want, we, we, we want where the good guy wins. While women are thinking more about relating, men tend to think more about ruling. We, we gravitate toward things like hunting and fishing and, and gaming and things that will challenge our abilities and where we can go in and win something. Amen? Am I, am I, am I speaking to any of the men today? You know, engage in the battle and come out victorious. America is in a battle, and it needs men to stand up and join the battle and win. Don't be afraid of the argument. Win the argument. You got all of truth on your back. Listen, the devil can only defeat those he can deceive. If the devil can't deceive you, He can't defeat you. But if he can deceive you, you're done for. Look at Abraham in chapter 12. And I want to just say, as you're looking at this in chapter 12 of Genesis, our God is great. Everything he does is great. He wants you as a man to be great. He even says it in his word. Look at this in Genesis 12 too. And I will make you a great nation. Say great. I will bless you and I will make your name say it. Great. And so you shall be a blessing. That's Abraham. Right out of the box. Genesis 12. Then we find in 2 Samuel 7, God said it to one of the kings. A man after his own heart. King David, 2 Samuel 7, 9. It says, I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make you a great name like the names of the great men who are on the earth. You know what today people do, men do, uh, especially around this time, is they will wear jerseys of their favorite team. But how many of you have ever seen a jersey and there's not a number and there's not a name on it? See, when guys wear a jersey, they wear the jersey of one of their favorite players who is great. 
And it's interesting to me, you don't really find a lot of, you know, people wearing the jersey of the, uh, you know, the second string special team punt returner. Who, who, what, who's he? It's the quarterback, it's the, it's the halfback, it's the wide receiver, it's, it's somebody, and we, we're wearing, we're wearing the greatness of another man. We're, we're kind of, and if you do that, I'm not, I'm not accusing, I'm not saying anything, but I'm just saying it's one of the things we do to identify with greatness. This guy's good. But I want you to understand, God did not just want you to piggyback on someone else's greatness, he wants you to be great. You say, well, pastor, I'm not a football player. I'm not talking about football. Football, in the scheme of things, is nothing. Was that un-American? Now, remember, greatness is one of the keys of the kingdom of God. Do you remember that? It was a key called greatness. One of the keys of the kingdom. We looked at that in that series that I just preached. Jesus talked about this. Turn to Matthew 20. Are you getting anything out of this? Pardon me if I'm a little excited about this. While you're turning there to Matthew 20, you'll remember last week that I I did liken the kingdom and a kingdom man to a referee in the NFL. And referees are not just ordinary people in that game. You know what referees have? That the players don't have? Authority. Now, most of them don't look like much on the field up against those huge, stronger, faster, and younger players, especially those linemen. Do you all remember when we had uh, Joe Jackson here, uh, former defensive end of the Minnesota Vikings, the Purple People Leaders? I still have the photo. It, 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 it is funny. It's really funny. Uh, it's me. I'm standing here, five foot six, and he's standing here, 18 feet four. I don't know. He's tall, six six, easy. And it's awkward for me to get my arm around him and him to get his arm around me. And it's it's like, you know, the biggest difference of manhood you could ever see. Now, I'm not ashamed to be five foot six. And I'm sure he's not ashamed to be six foot six. But I'm just saying this. If I was on the field, he was dressed in purple, and I'm dressed in white and black with stripes, there's something going to be in my pocket. This isn't yellow, but how many of you remember those referees? They got something yellow out of here. They can take that yellow flag and go, ah, foul, offsides. That, that huge lineman, that huge running back, that huge quarterback can get up in the face of that ref and yell at them and argue with them. But guess who has authority? It's not the guy who is bigger, faster, younger, and stronger. Those players can knock you down, but those refs can put you out. The players have power. The refs have authority. Listen, the devil has power. i got to get this off. It's bugging me. It's messing up my stuff. The devil's got power. You've got authority. In Matthew 20, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and as they're often prone to do, they're fussing at one another. How many of your kids, they tend to want to do that? Fuss at one another. And John's mother comes to Jesus, and look what happens. Verse 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee, James and John, came to him with her sons, bowing down and making a request of him. And he said to her, what do you wish? And she she said to him, well, command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right, one on your left. Now, everybody, why don't you say this? Every mother wants her son to be great. I don't fault James and John's mom 
for coming to Jesus. He doesn't even falter. But notice what he does do. Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you're asking for. Are you able to drink the cup I'm about to drink? And they said to him, we are able. And he said to them, my cup you shall drink, but to sit on my right and on my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. Now, hearing this, the other ten became indignant. That's just a nice word saying they got ticked off with those guys. Okay, ball baby John and James, you're going to bring mama in to talk for you as to who's the great, and you want to trump us and sit on the right and let, how dare you? I can just hear him. They became indignant. Do you see this? But Jesus called all of them to himself and he said, you know, you know how the people of the world do? The rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It's not so among you. Whoever wishes to be great, remember, here's the kingdom key of greatness, shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you, shall be your slave. For just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many, yet all that time, even though Jesus is serving God, even though Jesus is serving man, Jesus is blowing demons out of the water, right and left, right and left, right and left, right and left. Healings taking place. Demons coming out of people. People are being resurrected from the dead. Jesus got authority... But he submitted. Now, Jesus, I want, I, want, I want you to see something that Jesus does not do. Jesus here did not tell them to not want to be great. Never once does he say that. He said, whoever wishes to become great. How many wish to be great? I think every man in the room. If you wish to become great, this is how you do it. He didn't say, you know, you should be ashamed of yourselves for wanting to become great. I mean, I can't believe you and your mom got together and are talking about being great. That's what the disciples are doing. That's not what Jesus is doing. Instead, he's like, you know what? Your mom brought up greatness. So I want to let you in on one of the keys of my world, invisible world. And I don't want you to pursue it like the world pursues it. I want you to get greatness by your servanthood. And then the king of the kingdom will have something to work with to make you great. He'll have a submitted servant. What is it that Jesus is going to say to you when you come into the kingdom? Well done, thou good and faithful king, commander, servant. Oh, this is good stuff. God wants you as a man to be great. And I'll just say this. Whenever God used a man in the Bible, he always called him. Every man listen to this. He always called him to do something more than that man thought he could do. Look at Exodus chapter 7. Still with me? The Lord said to Moses, See, I make you as God to Pharaoh, and I make your brother Aaron your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall speak to Pharaoh that he let the sons of Israel go out of his land. So God is telling Moses... He's saying, I am going to make you as God, Moses. I'm going to make you like God to Pharaoh. That's pretty great, don't you think? He's like God to Pharaoh. But wait a second. We have two things going on. He's called, Moses is the meekest man that's ever lived on the earth. He's the meekest man. And at the very same time, God says, I'm going to make you as God to Pharaoh. 
Well, listen to me. You cannot be mamby-pamby coming up to Pharaoh, who is defying God, by the way. And here is the definition of meekness. Meekness is power under control. Moses had had 40 years to master this. 40 years on the backside of the desert after taking matters into his own hand and killing an Egyptian. 40 years of running away from Egypt, but now God is saying, you're going to go and you're going to be as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron, your brother, is going to be like a prophet to you. You see, a lot of times we face the world. We face the circumstances out there, and those circumstances look so big. That's because they are detached from the king. If a football player gets up into the face of a ref, the fact that he's bigger than that ref, faster than that ref, stronger than that ref, bigger than that ref, will become of little concern when that player gets a call from the NFL commissioner. It says you've just been kicked out for two weeks, and you're going to make a payment every day of $25,000 till you get your attitude straightened out. Don't you mess with one of my refs like that ever again. Authority just trumped power. You see, a football player that's going to get in the face of a ref must be out of his ever-loving mind. That's the way we should see the devil. I remember it was an old lady. I forget the the actual connotation of the story, but there was a a woman, prayer warrior, woke up in the middle of the night. She could feel fear. It wasn't that she's afraid, but she could just feel fear in her room. And literally, she saw what she believed was Satan. And she said, as she woke up, she was like, oh, it's just you. Rolled over and went to sleep. Have no authority here. You know, every man has a destiny. Moses had a destiny. Every one of us as men have a purpose. And the question is, is how can we, as, uh, how could the meekest man who ever lived operate in power? I mean, we see men coming up to his face saying, we can lead better than you can lead. You're not the only one blessed. You're not the only, pro- you're not the only son of, uh, of uh, like a, a priest. We are also of the priestly line. We can do more than you can do. Korah rebelled against him. And you know what Moses does? Falls on his face and begins to pray for him. Most guys would have decked Korah. Someone will take you out. You're not going to talk to me that way. I'm the leader. No, he hit his face and he said, Lord, forgive him. And God's like, tomorrow a new thing's going to happen. You tell them, Dathan, Byron, you tell Cora, all his family, you gather, you grab the censers. Aaron's going to grab a censer. He's going to fill it up from the coals of the fire. You guys grab censers and you fill it up with the coals of the fire. And you know what? If something new happens... And the earth opens up and swallows all those people. Moses said, God is God, and he's leading through me. If he doesn't answer, then follow them. And God answers Moses' prayer. But that's what God said. God has a way to take care of unbrokenness. Now, let me, let me close As Moses begins to do what God calls him to do, the question I have is how can the meekest man on earth have his walking stick turn into a snake, turn water into blood, make frogs come up from the earth, get into everybody's business, get into their bread and their ovens and their beds and 
send lice out to the enemy like snow on a snowy day and taking out all of Pharaoh's hamburgers and steaks because all the cows are dying while all yours in the field are still alive. The firstborn of the, the sons of Pharaoh are dying. And that doesn't sound like a weak man to me. He's a meek man, but not a weak man. So let's look at how meekness and greatness both work together. And the best way is one of my upraising is in seeing how horses are broken. You see, we've all seen how a wild horse will throw riders off its back and buck them off at, at a rodeo or a corral or on a Western movie. And the reason why is that horse doesn't want anybody riding him. He doesn't want anybody telling him what to do. So his attitude is, get off me. Hello? So many men today don't want God telling them what to do. They're saying, get off of me. Leave me alone. And if you don't get off of me and leave me alone, I'm going to throw you off. I'm going to buck you off. If I can, I'll stomp you. How many of you have been broken? You see, the horse must be broken of its rebellious independence because the horse doesn't want anyone on its back. So the cowboy, what he does is if he gets thrown off, he gets back on him. And he rides him. Now, he may get thrown off again and again and again, and the process is that horse is going to have that cowboy on his back over and over and over again until that horse gets the point. And I'm not going to stop riding you, says the cowboy, until you get the point you are not in charge anymore. And the devil needs to learn he's not in charge anymore in your home and in our nation. But you have to make sure you are under the lordship of Jesus Christ, meek, the king of the kingdom of God, and you have become what he said you would become on this earth. Now think about this. When a horse gets broken, it doesn't lose its power. It could still kick the living daylights out of you. It doesn't lose its speed. It doesn't lose its strength. It's just, it's had its will adjusted. God is not asking you to follow him and give up your manhood. God is not asking you to become like a woman and think like a woman and act like a woman. He's not asking you to follow him and dumb down your masculinity. He is saying, church, are you still getting this? I know I'm going a little bit long, but I've got to take care of this. He's saying, I want you to stop throwing me off your back. I want you to stop telling me what I can do and what I can't do in your life. And if you throw me off now, I'm going to see you again tomorrow. And I'm going to ride you until life breaks you. You see, what many men want is they want their independence from God. And God will not allow something in His corral to be independent from Him. So He'll make you meek so He can make you great. We still need the AC flip back on. I think it already shut off. Look on over to Matthew 21. Jesus says this in verse 42. Jesus said to them, Did you never read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? This became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Verse 43, Therefore I say to you, he's speaking to Israel, the kingdom will be taken away from you and be given to a nation producing the fruit of it. Here it is. And he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. But on whomever it falls, it'll scatter him like dust. This is what Jesus is saying here. He's the chief cornerstone. And there's only two things that stone will do. 
One is if you fall on it. And two is if it falls on you. Trust me, you want to fall on it. Because he said, whoever it, whoever will fall on it will be broken. You'll be meek. Church, that's what God did with Moses on the backside of a desert for 40 years. Is he made him meek. But if it falls on you, it will crush you like dust. How many would say, I want to fall on it? Can I tell you that the greatest Christian men are the ones who have gone the lowest before God? If you will bow before Him, He will lift you up. When you go low before God, He can then make you great among men. God has destined you for greatness, but what Satan wants to do is he wants to remove the word Lord and keep the word God so that you stay religious. But God's not telling you what to do. God's not your Lord. He's not, he's not your Lord. And when that happens, instead of becoming great, you invite chaos and confusion and calamity into your world. And that's what's going on in America. I want to just announce to you today, I love being a man. I love that Jesus showed us how to be a real man. Real men are needed in our country today. Amen? Notice with me one more verse, Genesis 2.19. And this is so important. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man. This blows my mind. God created all these animals. And from creation after doing this, he brings them to the man to see what he would call them. And not only that, whatever Adam called them, that was its name. From aardvark to the zebra, why is it called that? Because Adam called it that. Isn't that amazing? What God created... He allowed man to name. God brought all the animals that he had created, brought them to man, and that was his name. That's the authority God gave Adam on this earth to declare things, to name things. Speaking those things that are not, as though they are. That's what Abraham did. One last thing. God made a woman. Ladies, you should feel special because you are special. You are like no other creation on this earth. Read it. God formed every creature out of the earth. God drew into the ground the form of a man and breathed in his nostrils the breath of life. Every other thing, beast, was made out of the earth, even man. Not so with you. He put his crown, possession, creation, man, (laughs) 
under a divine anesthetic. The Bible says he put him to sleep. And he took a part of man and he fashioned a woman. You're created like nothing else. And guess why you're called a woman? Because when Adam, the first one God created of humanity, the one whom he wanted to be great, the one whom God wanted to rule, the one whom God wanted to have provision from, the one whom God called to guard. He said, you shall be called woman. I am Ish, man. You will be Isha, woman. Because you have been taken out of man, you are bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. In effect, listen to this, I am giving you my name. What happens at marriage? Guys, what happens at marriage? If you marry Ann Smith and your name is Bob Brown... She becomes Ann Brown. You do not become Bob Smith. And that's not to make all the women libbers angry. I'm just here to tell you the way it was from the beginning. Not that there's any women libbers in the house, but I hope there's some listening. Here's the point I want to make today. When you become a man of the kingdom, it carries authority. You're not just on the field. You have the yellow flag. You get to declare how things should go according to the rule book of the kingdom of God. I want to say it again. According to the rule book of the kingdom of God. I know that there's some who go, man, this is my house. Bless God, I'm the king. Woman, submit. You know what you need? You need a good swift kick in the rear. You need to you need you need you need you need the, the heavenly king to come on your back and ride you and ride you and ride you and ride you till you fall on that rock and break down a little bit. Yeah, you're the king, but it is under God. And God doesn't treat his people like that. Amen. And I want to just tell you this. There is no woman alive that will not follow a man of the kingdom of God that is great in the eyes of God and of men anywhere on this world. Not a one. So, declare it, state it, speak it, declare with your own mouth what God declares about you all the things we've looked at in Scripture. I know I've taken a little more time today. I'm not apologetic of it. It's what we needed to hear. I didn't want to cut this off and then try to get us back next week. This is what God wants you as a man to be. He wants you to be a man of the kingdom full of greatness, giving him all the glory, giving him all the honor, and walking in that authority. Amen? Stand to your feet today. Father, today we thank you for the Word of God. We thank you for its freedom. We thank you for its uh, power. We thank you for the effect that it can have in our world today where no imp, no demon, no devil of hell can overcome it because, Lord Jesus, you said that the authority you had on the earth, you gave it to us. Adam lost it in the garden, but you got it back on the cross, and you gave it to every one of us. You said the things you did, we would do on this earth, Lord, and even greater because you've gone to the Father. I just pray, Lord, you help us be the men of God you've called us to be. We would be not easily offended. We would not be easily angered. We would not be easily moved. We would just stay the course, carry on, stay in the Word, and stay as a powerful man of the kingdom of God. And all the people said, amen. I love you guys. We're going to see you again next Sunday. Uh, even more good stuff's coming. Amen. God bless.